So I'm going to be talking about where East meets West. I'm going to talk about where we start, where we're headed, and how we get there. I'm going to be looking at our direction of travel and how the only way to get there is via the river. I'm going to start with a geography lesson. We're going to start in the east, okay? <laughs> oh my goodness. Hull, apparently. That's where we're starting. Right. Bernard. I was going a little further east. To the Garden of Eden was where I was thinking. <laughs> but you know, whole the Garden of Eden, well, whatever. So let's start at the beginning in Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, not in Hull. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. East sounds like a good place to me. It was God's place. It was the place to be. East was it. But sadly, something happened in the East, and sin entered the world, and things didn't look quite so rosy. And by the time we get to Genesis 3, the East is beginning to look a little less attractive. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. Pretty sure they went East, because the angels are placed on the East side of the garden to guard it, and they can't get back. So they're now wandering around in the east. A bit further on, in Genesis 4, Cain has now killed his brother, Abel, and he heads out of the Lord's presence, and he heads east of Eden. And he is wandering around in the wilderness. Many, many years later, we get to the Israelites, and they have been exiled to the east. They've been exiled to Babylon. They're in captivity and they're pretty sad. Let's look at Psalm 137. It is a sorrowful lament. This is how it goes. I'm not going to sing anybody who's my age who is now thinking Boney M, stop right now. <laughs> It's from the Bible. It's Psalm 137, okay? Thank you. I can hear it in my head. <laughs> By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat and wept, we remembered Zion. Zion was in the West. Zion is where God is. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
But how can we sing? How can we sing the song of the Lord while we are in a foreign land? It was not a happy place. They'd gone east. They were in exile. So at this point, the east is now synonymous with, it's associated with separation from God. It's associated with sadness and exile and wandering about. So what's happened back in the West, which was originally the East when we started? Genesis 3, verse 24. After he drove the man out, this is God, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So why did he place the angels on the east side? Because that's the direction that Adam and Eve left in. So Adam and Eve have headed out east and they can't go back. They're not allowed. They're separated from God. So the Garden of Eden, which was east, but is now west, is where God is. It's where the presence of God is. And there's become a huge separation between the two. And if we move on a bit and we think about the temple and the tabernacle, they always face east. Is this east? Yes, it is. I'm the opposite way around to you, so I'm just trying to work it out. So the tabernacle and the temple always face east. That's where the door is. So when you enter the tabernacle or the temple, you have to head west because you have to head towards the presence of God. Whenever we enter the temple, we head towards the presence of God. However, they could only get so far. In the tabernacle or the temple, there was a big curtain. So you could come in, you could head west towards the presence of God, but you could only go so far because of that separation. Because when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, the cherubim set up a barrier and they could never return to be with God. The great news is that because of Jesus, separation and alienation are no longer ours. Because of Jesus, that curtain has been torn in two. We read in the Gospels how when Jesus died, the curtain was torn apart. And actually, we can head west whenever we want to. We can head towards the presence of God and there is nothing to stop us. It says in Hebrews 6 verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Now, if Jesus was a forerunner, I can only assume there were people running behind and that that's us. Jesus entered in and we follow behind him. And in Colossians 21, it says, once you were alienated from God And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you 
by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that amazing that we are presented holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation? I tell you what, we can run. We can run west. We can run straight into the presence of God. There are no curtains to stop us. There are no cherubim to stop us. There's no flaming swords to stop us. There's nothing. We can head west all the time. However, would you want to do that? Would you want to just head west all the time? Because over here in the east is alienation and separation. And whilst we can just head in this direction, and we will have a great time, we will have a wonderful time. Over here, people are dying. People are separated. People are sorrowful. People are wandering in the wilderness with no direction and no clue what to do. But as usual... It's never either or, is it? We can have both. We can have the West. We can have the East. And you know what connects the two? The river. The river connects the East and the West. Let's go back to Ezekiel 47, where we've been for quite, quite a while over the weeks. We're going to go back to the river We'll start at verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. Now, it appears that the water is going round a bend. I can't pretend to understand this bit, okay? But it's coming south and it's heading east, okay? It's doing a bit of this, okay? But nevertheless, heading in this direction, that's the most important thing. So, if you're in the river... Got to be going east. That's where it's flowing. Good place to be is the river. Coming from the west, going to the east. Let's look at what else happens with the river as it heads east. I'm now in verse 8. This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kind will grow on both banks of the river. 
Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. The water from the sanctuary flows to them. It starts in the west with the presence of God. And it flows to the east and transforms it. So why is the river so important? Apart from the fact that it links the two. There are many things that we could draw out of the the metaphor of the river. I'm just going to go for three this morning. The magic three. Why is the river so important? Well, the first thing is it links the sacred and the secular. It links spiritual things with worldly things. Children have no, no concept of this. I heard a wonderful story literally just before I was coming to, to stand up to preach. Um, Justina shared a lovely story with me of how Lucy was playing one day, singing, wasn't she? Singing her version of the songs here. And she just um, said to Justina, Jesus is king of my heart. I'm going to play with my dolls now, mummy. (laughs) It's just to continue him, isn't it? Jesus is king of my heart and I'm playing with my dolls. Children have no concept of things that are holy and, and the God things that we're doing. And then the kind of worldly, practical things we're doing. And... And God's the same. He, he, he doesn't really have any concept of that. And it makes no sense whatsoever for us to separate the kind of God things from the world things. If you do that, it's a bit like getting your watering can. Oh, look. I've got one here. It's a bit like getting your watering can and trying to irrigate the whole desert with your watering can. So I'm over here in the west. I'm in the presence of God. I'm praising Jesus. I'm doing my God things. I'm worshipping. And my watering can is now full. Full of blessings. Full of the Holy Spirit. I'm off over here to the east. Watering. It's got a bit of water in the bottom. So I better be careful. Watering. Five minutes later it's empty. I'm off back to the presence of God. Filling up my watering can. I'm off back to the east. I'm doing a bit of watering. Can you see this? is just exhausting. And it is not achieving a lot of things, really. I'm just watering the odd thing. And then I'm going back again. (laughs) Separating the sacred and the secular. Separating what we do with God from what we do everywhere else is exhausting and pointless. You know, it's graduation season at the moment. See it all on Instagram and Facebook. Last year, I was at Melly's graduation at Leicester University. <sighs> Do they know how to draw out a graduation? <laughs> wow. Don't get me wrong. It was wonderful. I did all the clapping and the smiling. For hours and hours on end, my face was stuck like this by the time I finished. But do you know what? I was really only interested in about 30 seconds. And that was when my daughter got on the stage, walked across, picked up her certificate and stylishly walked off the stage like it was a catwalk. Yes. The 
rest of it was okay, but that was the bit that I was interested. Do you know, God is not like that. He does not wait for the 30 seconds or the minute or the 10 minutes or the hour when you're over here praying. And then he's like, whoa, look, they're over there. They're praying. I better get engaged. Okay. They're calling on me for something. Come on, engage now. Oh, they've gone back over to the east. Okay. I've lost interest now. God's so not like that, is he? He is interested in whether you are dancing to a Bethel song here or the black-eyed peas in your kitchen, whether you are reading your Bible or the Hobbit. God is interested in all of it. He does not separate those things. So why would we do that? But in the river, the presence of God is connected to the world. In the river, we are in that flow of a constant flow of God, hearing from God, moving in God, in whatever place we might be. So the river does not separate the sacred and the secular. It connects them both together. The river brings life and transformation. Now, we go from the Dead Sea, which I had to go and Google a bit, it has not got a lot living in it, it would appear, because of the high salt content. One or two little microorganisms, that's about it. But this river, when it flows into the Dead Sea, it makes it into fresh water. It's not really going to make a big impact, is it? My little watering can, take it to the Dead Sea. I dilute it with that much. But really, it's not going to have a big impact. But in the river, we get life and transformation. Because if you're not in the river, your watering can's not enough. If you're not in the river, you're not enough. If you're not in the river, you haven't got enough resources because you're not connected to God. In the river, we've got everything. We are enough. The Bible says that we have everything we need for life and godliness. We find it in the river. And you'll know yourselves that there are times where if you want to see transformation, you have to dig deep. You have to have some deep wells. I know that's a different metaphor, but you know what I mean. Sometimes you've just got to dig deep when you're interceding for people, when you are sowing into people's lives, when you're looking for change, when we want to change our town, when we're just trying to bring the goodness of God to people. You know, we need to dig deep because we will be exhausted quickly if we're not tapped into that river, if we don't have those resources. And the third thing the river brings is resilience. You hear a lot about resilience now. Resilience is such an important thing. Resilience for our children. Resilience for our mental health. Resilience for our families. Resilience for our walk with God. Resilience for the people's walk with God. Verse 12 tells us that the leaves won't wither and the fruit won't fail. But my watering can is not going to get me very far. At the moment, I'm having to use my watering can and my hose pipe on the garden. Now, we decided at the beginning of the summer that we would extend our lawn by about a third, not knowing it was never going to rain again. (laughs) 
So Brendan <laughs> has gone well, surprisingly. So Brendan seeded this area of lawn and we started to water it. And then Charlie found out about it. Charlie, who is the master gardener, and he went, well, now you've started to water it. Don't stop. You'll never be able to stop watering it. You'll just have to keep going. And indeed, that's what we have had to do. But our piece of ground is about that big. So the watering can is okay. But over here in the east, my watering can is not going to sustain a lot of life. A little bit and for a short amount of time, maybe. But without the river, whatever you are watering will always be dependent on you. Our grass is dependent on us. It's gradually getting established, but it's dependent on us to keep it watered. If, you're, if you have people that are dependent on you because you are watering them, eventually you and them will die. You have to be in the river and you have to be able to introduce other people to the river. You bring about life by bringing people to the river and showing them how to access it, not by dipping your watering can in and taking it to them. Now, sometimes people are so weak that actually that's where it begins. You do have to take your watering can and you do have to water them. But after a while, you need to bring them to the river. You need to show other people how to access the river, how to do it for themselves how to find Jesus, and how to rely on the Father. And if we constantly just have our watering can, we'll just make people dependent on us. And you think, well, one person, well, that's not bad. Ten people. Imagine ten people who are constantly relying on you to water them. You will be exhausted. But lead them to the river. Introduce them to the river Get them into the river. Get them connected with the presence of God so they too can go out and transform the east. So the river links the sacred and the secular. It brings life and transformation. It brings resilience. Now, as soon as you get into the presence of God, it's a bit like a godly compass. So a compass will always go to north. When you get in the presence of God, it immediately swings you to the east. That's what it does. That, that's what it's preparing you for. The presence of God and the river of God will immediately orientate you to the east, which is really important. Because the east points to the coming of Jesus. In Matthew 24, verse 26, it says, So if someone tells you the Messiah has returned... And is out in the desert. Don't bother to go and look. Or that he is hiding at a certain place. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes across the sky. From the east to the west. So shall be my coming when I the Messiah return. He is coming from the east to the west. Because when we face east. We face to all points to do with the restoration of all things. We point to Jesus. And Jesus reconciles the east to the west. He reconciles the sinners and the lost and the wandering to the presence of God. So we face east 
towards all things to do with restoration. And when we face East, it always brings us to the sunrise. Here's a fun fact for you. If you were to stand at the, at the equator and you were to travel at a thousand kilometers a mile, useful, a thousand kilometers an hour, sorry, yes, you would always be in sunrise. You could always be anticipating the sunrise. I can't imagine anyone wanting to do that. However, facing east will always bring us to a sunrise. It might be a bit slower than that. You might have to just live in the natural rhythms of life. I think that's probably a healthier way to be. But it will always bring us to the sunrise. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, God's compassions or God's mercies never fail because they are new every morning. If you face east, you always face an opportunity. You always face towards blessing. You always face towards the newness and the freshness of God's mercies. No matter what's gone before, if you face east, there is always a fresh opportunity. There is always forgiveness. There is always restoration. There is always a sunrise. And facing east is our destiny. It's what we've been called to do. In Proverbs 4 verse 18, it says, The path of the righteous, the path of the righteous, is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But get your head around this. It's always shining brighter. Oh dear. Excuse me. It's always shining, shining brighter to the full light of day. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day. It's like a tongue twister. It never gets dimmer. It never goes out. It never dips. We're always shining brighter. Thank you. So there's never a has been. There's never a gone day. There's never, oh, that's it now. I've peaked and nothing's ever going to be as good again. If you face east, there's always a new opportunity. So practice the presence of God. Start each day by centering yourself with him. Start with the source. Start in the river. And it will take you from his presence to the place of life and transformation. It will sustain you and give you enough resources for yourself and for other people. We're just going to take a few moments to just orientate ourselves. We're just going to take a few moments. Um, Andy's going to put a bit of music on. And we're just going to take a few minutes to just center ourselves and know which way we're facing. Knowing that we face opportunity. Know that we come from the presence of God and that we are blessed and that we are fulfilled in that place. But that we face east and look at the opportunities that God is giving us. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are our source. 
that being in your presence gives us everything we need, Lord. And that you have equipped us and filled us so that we can be in your river and that we can go towards those who are alienated, who are wandering, who are lost. Father, I thank you that you have given us resources for ourselves and resources for others. Lord, help us to continue to face east, to anticipate all that you have for us, to embrace all that we are and all that you have called us to be. In the name of Jesus. Amen.